Welcome to the Imperfect Leader Podcast. I'm Scott Neal, your host. Today, I get the honor of interviewing Dr. Andrew Harris, CEO of the Northeast Academy for Aerospace and Advanced Technologies here in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. It's a great podcast interview. Learn a lot about what NEAT is doing and excited for you to get to know Dr. Andrew Harris. Before we get to the interview, let me encourage you to please go by iTunes and give us a five-star rating. While you're there, you can leave comments or questions. We want to make the podcast as good as we can, and we need your help to do so. So please go by iTunes and check out the comment section. Also, you can email me if you have uh, more questions or comments that you would like to interact with me personally. You can reach me at scott at fplive.org. Again, scott at fplive.org. All right, let's get to the interview with Dr. Andrew Harris. Welcome, Dr. Harris, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate yeah. being here. Well, it's an honor to have you here today. Uh, let's begin by just kind of getting to know you a little bit. So if you will, just take a couple minutes and just tell us a little, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I know. I think you're from this area. Um, so give us a little history of you. Sure. Yeah, I'm from Perquimans County, Hereford, uh, Hereford native. Um, I've lived here my whole life. Had a brief stand, of course, in uh, Chapel Hill, Go Hills, okay. yeah. and, and uh, Greenville at, at ECU. But, um, yeah, I've been here and been an educator um, for my entire career. Um, I have a beautiful wife, Kim, and two daughters, Kenley and Adeline. And, um, now, how old are your daughters? So I've got uh, Kenley, who is eight, okay. and Adeline, who is six, a uh, brand-new third grader. She'll be going to, yeah. to White Oaks uh, or to um, D.F. Walker. So we're excited about that. And of course, uh, Adeline's at And I'm sure they White keep you Oaks. busy. Oh, here, yes. Here, Bouncing <laughs> off the walls, I tell you. Girls are a real joy. And um, we're just – we love them so much. So. Great. How long have you been married? Uh, 15 years, actually. 15. Just celebrated our 15th. Well, congratulations. So, uh, That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Very yeah. good. All right. Well, tell us, what is Northeast Academy for Aerospace and Advanced Technologies? What is it about? Yeah. So, um, you know, right now we're a, a grade 7 through 12 school. Our goal is to expand to offer 6th grade through 12th grade. We have uh, 450 students right now from all over the Northeast. So right now we have students who reside in seven counties, and the bulk are actually from right here in Pasquotank County. Mm-hmm. A little over 300 of our students are, are from Pasquotank County. Um, our goal is that every student who graduates from NEAT, we, we call it NEAT, right. um, will graduate with, um, of course, their high school diploma, but also hopefully some college credit, whether it's a two-year degree or three to six hours. Um, but we want all students to have that experience before they leave. Uh, we want them to have um, at least 200 hours of a service to the community. That's mm-hmm. a real big part of what we do. And, what what uh, does some uh, of the service look like? So um, we've our students have done everything from volunteering at uh, Chowan Vidant Hospital to tying ribbons for uh, Museum of the Albemarle. I mean, it's um, you know whatever they can to do to give back and just right. to, to improve this community. I mean, that's a, a huge part of, of um, what I personally believe in. What our staff are really passionate about, and um, it, it drives really our instructional model. Uh, our instructional model is centered around what's called project-based learning. Mm-hmm. So whereas um, when when we were in school or you think of a traditional school, you think of um, math class and then English class and then social studies. But, you know, rarely in the real world do we ever use those skills in isolation. I mean, when we, um, you know, tackle the, the everyday tasks of the real world of work or, or our lives, uh, we have to rely on sets of skills and content from from disparate fields from from all over and bring that together to really solve problems and so that that's our approach so how can we um, take content from across the board and kind of blur the lines a little bit to make it real to really 
um, help students um, become productive citizens, become problem solvers, uh, be able to work in teams, collaborate and communicate, and make a positive difference, a positive and lasting difference in this community, in the world, um, you know, to use to use what they've learned for good. So that's, that's kind of our goal. And um, to that extent, we also hope that students would um, complete an internship by the time they graduate. So some type of work-based experience, whether it's um, a full 160-hour internship experience where they're on the job and completing tasks as if they were um, employed by the organization, all the way down to just maybe um, an independent project that there's a mentor out there that you know is helping them um, complete. So, right. um, but but the goal is before a student graduates, they know about the real world of work before yeah. they ever hit that <laughs> the real world. Right. So. I noticed on your website it mentioned uh, NEAT offers world-class STEM education for all. Explain to us what STEM is. So uh, uh, traditionally people have thought of STEM as science, technology, engineering, and math, um, right. you know, content or, or classes or courses that are really structured around those areas in particular. Um, and while we do offer that, for us STEM is strategies that engage minds, so project-based learning, um, performance tasks that are aligned to real world tools. Um, so they're not just using, you know, software for software's sake. If, if they're using software in industry, that's what we have in our classrooms. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really about real world learning. So um, for us, world-class STEM education for all means that every graduate of NEAT should be competitive in a global economy. Mm -hmm. So uh, when they go out to apply for jobs, when they apply for university, when they go into the military, whatever it is they'll do, they can compete. They can stand on their own with anyone else in the world. Um, I think we owe it to, to every student to have that experience, and so that's what we endeavor to do at NEAT. Excellent. How long has NEAT been part of Elizabeth City? Uh, NEAT opened in 2015. Okay. Uh, it was in planning a couple years before that. It was actually the first um, public charter school to um, open under um, an accelerated uh, timetable. Generally, there's a two-year process. Mm -hmm. NEAT opened much faster than that. Um, but we've been on, on the Elizabeth City State University campus. They're a proud partner of, of ours, and we appreciate having them as a partner. Um, and we've been there, uh, started in the Gilchrist building, and now because we've grown and they've grown, we're in 13 buildings on the, the Elizabeth City State University campus. Wow. So our students are definitely prepared when they leave to tackle any university. Yeah. Now you guys have a, a new building that you're moving into, or I know over by the, where the mall was. Explain a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, we have expanding been expanding and it's remodeling, and I watch all that happen. I'm very interested <laughs> in that. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, we're excited. Um, so we have been in the planning stages now for a little over a year um, with uh, the Virio Group, mm -hmm. and um, our goal is to renovate the back portion. So we actually physically divide Southgate Park right. um, into Southgate Park and Neat, and we'll occupy the back portion as a separate property, and our, our students and, and our school will be there. That's an excellent location. Yeah, it is. Right um, in the middle. Yeah, I mean, our, our board uh, viewed that uh, as an, an absolutely excellent spot for a number of reasons. Yeah. I mean, f firstly, it's excellent for this economy. I mean, to have yeah. that kind of a, a hub now uh, right back at, at Southgate is will be tremendous. Um, it is centrally located to both College of the Albemarle and Elizabeth City mm -hmm. State University. We have over 100 students right now, probably over 130 this year will enroll at, at one or both. Um, so it's, it's central to that. It, it pr uh, presents tremendous opportunity for collaboration with business being in that location. Um, and, you know, for, for many, it has been, um, 
I think it's fair to say the kind of epicenter of the Albemarle region for a long time. I mean, you know, growing up in this area, that's where you would go to the mall. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we're, we've kind of we hope to revitalize that in partnership with Virio to make it um, once again the epicenter of of the Northeast. So we're we're excited about that opportunity. Now has this has this um, um, project moving it into the the back of Southgate? Has that been easier or more difficult, more challenging, longer? more quickly how has that moved along yeah i mean you know it never moves as fast as you want it sure. to <laughs> uh, there are always uh setbacks or, or this form or that form but uh, i can say the determination to um to have an independent facility to really um set in stone the future of neat ha- has never uh, the board's never wavered in that i mean that's always been a goal is to have that that kind of hub that says we're here and and you know this is who we are we're not going anywhere um, and so uh, we hope to be in the facility uh, soon. What that means, I, I hesitate to say, but, um, but you know, we're, we're excited. We've been um, working hard to, to get that space um, to secure it and to renovate it. And um, so we're, we're ready to get in. Why, why did you choose Elizabeth City to open this up and to get neat programs started here? I mean, there's so many areas, so many places that you could have moved and gone, no doubt, with your education and experience. I mean, you could have gone where a lot of people you know they go to charlotte they go to raleigh they go to large you know cities you 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 stayed here local and are creating this incredible uh school system right here in elizabeth city what what inspired that why did you do that why not scott yeah (laughs) i mean you know we have remarkable we have just our kids here are just as good as they are anywhere yeah i mean why why go anywhere else um you know my wife and i have have talked often actually about opportunities that you know exist in the more metropolitan areas of our state and um, you know both for her and for me and for our children but at the end of the day you know the sense of community that you have here in the Albemarle area is second to none I mean um, you know we have remarkable students we have a remarkable community and if everyone leaves um, how do we grow (laughs) Uh, and so that's that's just um, it's not us that's excellent. Here's a here's a question I've I've been thinking through. Why did why did you choose to lead a charter school versus a traditional school? Uh, for me, it was about um, impact. Um, you know, actually, I was very much on the other side uh, of the the whole um, charter school, traditional public school uh, kind of debate that exists. This kind of uh, almost political division that's out there. I mean, I I was very much you can almost say anti-charter for a very long time. I had only worked in traditional school districts before this. And what was the reason for that? Well, uh, a lot of charters um, that I have um, came to know as someone who was working in traditional public schools um, seemed to, uh, of course I know more now, but really seemed to at that time uh, not truly be an option for all students. I mean, I, I feel like it is our responsibility to do everything we can so that, you know, we educate all students and that and opportunity like NEAT are open to, to all students of all types, all backgrounds, no matter what. And uh, I just felt like um, public charter schools didn't do a good job of that. I think if you look at the research, you'll see that historically that has been the case. Now, there are schools that are getting much better um, about attracting and retaining students of very diverse backgrounds, but um, it just hasn't been the case. And so, um, actually, I started out being on the other side of the fence, so to speak. I, I was not a, a supporter at all of, of public charter schools. 
Um, but I was working with a firm at that time called NC New Schools out of the Triangle. And uh, my role was a design coach. So I would work with boards of education, um, business leaders, universities to develop very innovative school models. You may have heard of early colleges. Um, there were some, some STEM schools. There were um, middle colleges. So these different models and programs that were just completely different than, than a traditional um, educational setting. And Northeast Academy for Aerospace happened to be one of the schools that I was working to help design. And so um, I just felt very fortunate um, to interview for the position. It was an opportunity I saw to um, make a big impact in this region, uh, both for students that were attending our school, um, but even for students that weren't. I had, you know, I always felt the whole, the whole, throughout the whole process that um, we would do great things. We had a remarkable board, um, excellent support from a lot of uh, educators and families, and I knew that it would be an initiative that would make an, a, a positive impact, um, but it would also be one that would be extremely difficult um, because it had never been done in this way. We're the first public charter school to open on a, the campus of a public university. Um, we're the first in a lot of respects. We offer transportation. We offer free and reduced lunch. Um, we want all of our educators to be licensed. I mean, it's it's um. In the charter world, you don't always see that. And so I knew that there were some unique challenges there and then to this region. And I just wanted to make sure that this initiative um, here at home was going to be was going to be one that worked and was going to make a difference, not just for the students that attended the school, but for those throughout the region. And I, I think we've done that. And, um, you know, we're real proud of to be able to say that. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, some of the tension that may exist between charter and, and public schools and just in talking with people. And I'd love to get your perspective because you sit sure. in a unique position and you know things that many other people do not know and can put maybe to rest some of the, you know, concerns that maybe some people would have. I've heard people suggest that the charter schools take a portion of the public school resources, uh, including teachers, students, uh, maybe even, even funding. So when people bring that to your attention and say, well, you know, charter schools take away from the public school system. Charter schools hurt the public school system, and they're already struggling now. What would you say to that? How would you answer that concern and let them know, you know, that you're not doing that? Or or maybe you are and you're okay with that. What's kind of, what would you say in into that concern? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of challenges associated with the funding model. I mean, when it comes down to the issues you hear around charters, uh, number one, I think without fail, tends to revolve around where the dollars go, mm -hmm. where they come from. Um, and we've been cognizant of that from the beginning. Uh, you know, so basically charter schools are funded in much the same way that a traditional public school would be funded. So we do receive state dollars. Uh, so just as any school district in North Carolina receives a, a set amount per student that attends their district, uh, we also receive that same amount. So whatever the Elizabeth City Pasquotank Public Schools would receive, more or less, we receive from the state as well for each student that attends our school, no matter where they, they live. Um, we also receive um, a portion of county funding. So we don't receive capital funding. So the, the funding for buildings and those kinds of things, we don't get. We um, receive um, the, the broader portion of, of general funds that a county would receive for each student. And, um, and that depends upon where the student resides. So if a student is coming from Chowan, uh, we receive that from Chowan County. If they're coming from Currituck, from Currituck, Pasquotank, et cetera. Um, and we also receive federal um, aid as well. So we have grants for special education. 
Um, we have a growing special education population. We call it EC or exceptional children now in North Carolina. Um, we have a growing um, free and reduced lunch population. We supplement um, that out of pocket, out of general operating funds. And um, so we receive Title I uh, funding, Title II funding, so some federal programs. Um, and that's still not enough. I mean, it never has been. Um, because we were s small and there was a very low economy of scale, we started with 120 students. Um, we knew that to offer transportation and to be one-to-one -one where every student has 24-7 access to a laptop and to do the things we wanted to do would require additional funding. So we were very fortunate to, um, since we've opened, secure over $1.5 million in um, outside external funding too. Um, so do public charter schools take, take money, so to speak, from traditional public schools? Um, I would have to say, uh, yes, there is funding that would have gone to the traditional district had the student remained enrolled there that now goes to the, the public charter school. So the dollars follow the student. So um, the money's not there, but the students aren't either, right? right. So it, it's kind of um, in some ways a break even. And in some cases in, in small areas like this, it does present challenges. I mean, the economy of scale changes too with those traditional public schools. Um, as their enrollment goes down. And so, um, you know, that's one of the, the reasons that we adopted a regional approach. The goal was from the beginning, if you pull from a target area of six counties, the impact on any one district should be, you know, remarkably less than it would if you, if you didn't. And so we have actively recruited across that six-county um, area, and um, less than 2% uh, so far of public school-aged children uh, grades 7 through 12 attend our school. So actually the impact overall when we look at a six-county area is small. Now for some districts it's a little larger than others. Um, but what we have also done is, you know, in, in North Carolina, nationally, but definitely here in North Carolina, and in particularly in the northeastern um, portion of our state, we've seen this uh, growing trend of families who have opted out of traditional public schools to go to either home schools or private school, and particularly home schools. So what happens when those students leave, um, let's say, Northeastern High School and go to a home school is that now Elizabeth City Pasquotank does not receive those state dollars. They lose teacher allotments. So we lose jobs. Um, we, we lose the funds that we would have for those same students. Um, so what NEAT has been able to do is to recapture many of those students. Um, so actually, uh, over a quarter, about 28% right now of our students come from homeschools and private schools. So what that means for this region, if we look at it in a more kind of global approach, is that in this region right now, we have a million dollars every year in state funding that we would not otherwise have. So just by NEAT's existence, by its in ability to re-enroll recapture students we have been able to secure more than a million dollars just in state funding alone for this region that wasn't there so that leads to jobs that leads to more opportunities for students um, that is a narrative that to the best of my knowledge has not been um, out there to date yeah. and um, you know we we were uh, in the process of applying for a few uh, additional grants here recently and um, and kind of looking at the numbers you know with since we've been open, $1.2 in state funds that would not have been here had we not. $1.5 in external funding, so almost $3 million um, in direct funds. 
as a result of us being here for three years. I mean, that's that's big for a region like. I think this. that information is in, is important for people to hear. How could mm-hmm. how could we maybe do a better job with getting that out? Because I think the public needs to hear that. I don't know, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> I guess podcasts like this one. Sure. Well, uh, hopefully it'll help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, you know, I think uh, if we as community members keep the conversation on opportunities for the broader community and opportunities for students and less on who gets what uh, we'll get there Um, you know for for the educators and the board of of NEAT it has never been about um, you know what can we do that they can't it's always been about how can we create increasingly better opportunities for all students those in the building and those that aren't yeah you mentioned about the I think you said one and a half million dollars that have been given Mm-hmm. above and beyond the, the state, the funding that other people have given? Is that through fundraising? Is that through gifts? Is that, I, I'm curious, how did you go out and, and kind of raise that? Is it just through casting kind of a vision of what you want to do and people get excited about it? Or did you actually have fundraising? How does that work? Yeah, so initially uh, in working with uh, North Carolina New Schools, um, that organization was uh, kind of an incubator for these types of innovative schools. And so there was uh, a wing that focused on curriculum and instruction, kind of a a department or a wing that focused on philanthropy and development and um, securing, helping districts um, secure funding for approaches like this. And so it was initially through NC New Schools that, the board of directors of NEAT were able to secure funding from uh, the William R. Keenan Jr. Charitable Trust, uh, Carnegie Corporation of New York, uh, Albemarle uh, Sentara here contributed $100,000 to the school. So there were a lot of really big contributions yeah. initially that helped kind of kickstart what we've, um, the school, what we've done. And since that time, uh, the Keenan Charitable Trust has been huge. I mean, since we opened, they've contributed about $800,000 wow. to our school. And it's really because of the impact they see and that we've been able to make um, in the lives of, of people in this area and the potential to create a pipeline really to high-paying jobs at the Coast Guard base, pay, uh, future jobs in areas of cybersecurity, uh, health care will be the next kind of branch where we will be looking to expand so um, those are high needs areas, yeah. particularly here, but I mean everywhere. Right. So, well, many public schools uh, throughout our nation struggle, or at least that's the image that that many people have. From where you sit, what what do you think the the trouble is with some of the public school systems throughout our nation? How much time do you have? Scott? <laughs> uh, Thirty <laughs> well, seconds. I, Just I, give it. I'll all tell to you us. what the problem is not. The problem okay. is not um, generally educators. I yeah. mean, educators are put under tremendous. Um, the expectations are through the roof. Um, one of the issues is that we see schools as being kind of the um, end-all, be-all. You know, it is the school's responsibility to do all that it requires to take a student from, you know, five years old, four years old to being a productive citizen. Well, it takes a lot more than, you know, the old reading, writing, and arithmetic. Um, and there are increasing regulations on schools and districts on how funds can be used on uh, certification requirements. Um, it's, it's really, it's truly remarkable. I mean, if anyone ever did a study on exactly how many reports were filed at a district level 
uh, in a given month, I think it would be astounding. I mean, it's really, so if you're spending your time doing those kinds of things, it's very, very difficult to focus on that child at a time when expectations are through the roof. So I think a lot of, of what we can do is really um, engage our community and help our community members understand how they can um, be engaged in the work. I mean, um, you know, even if it's just eating lunch with a child, um, sometimes it, it may be uh, doing a home visit. Sometimes it may be sponsoring a child with a, a book bag and a snack after school. I mean, those small things help. Um, on, a, on a grander scale, more local control. I mean, if districts... One of the challenges is that as a public charter school, when we receive funds, we have a lot of flexibility in how we use those funds. Now, um, it's challenging. Uh, however, we do have flexibility. A traditional school district doesn't have that. So when you have those types of constraints and you have a local context that varies no matter where you are, um, you know, it, it just won't work. Uh, and so I think we're, we're realizing that and you have um, – a school district now in North Carolina, actually out in the sort of western part of the state, who um, has been given flexibility to change the way to, to experiment with how they use some state funds. There's a lot of attention uh, kind of there on, on, on that district. And if we can do the same thing here, I think we'll see positive change as well. Yeah. How is education changing? Um, and what advice would you give to students pursuing higher education today? Because I'm sure that things have changed a lot over the last 20 years, 30 years, even in what you know employers are looking for, uh, how quickly technology is changing. Uh, you know, I've read, I don't know how much of this is, is accurate. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've, I've, I've read before that often kids get into college you know, as a freshman studying technology, by the time they graduate, things have changed so much. You know, they've almost got to relearn a lot of things in tech because things are moving so quickly. I've read there's just an overflow of, of, of MBAs, you know, graduates, and many of them are going back and finding jobs that have nothing to do with their advanced degree because, again, technology changing so much and education, people coming from other countries here flooding, you know, in and getting many high-paying jobs. Mm-hmm. And many of our students are not prepared to get those same jobs. So I'm just curious from your perspective, how is education changing and, and maybe a piece of advice or so you would have for maybe someone looking at what degree do I get? You know, how do, where, where would you advise me to move? Yeah, well, that, that's part of it. Yeah. Uh, you, you just kind of touched on one point. Um, the traditional sort of threshold or metric that we would hold high as being um, the symbol of accomplishment uh, has always been generally that four-year degree you know if i graduate with this bachelor's degree great things will happen you know um and uh that's not necessarily the case anymore um students can graduate um from two-year programs and go on to remarkable careers um the shift towards skilled trades and the dire need for skilled trades is really big that is a shift and now education. is that because so many students you know a few years ago all went into the into a different direction didn't do the the trade skills and 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 that and now we have a an emptiness in that or an, an a, you know a vacuum kind of created because of so many other that's a part um you know the the there's a, a a book and i can't remember the author but when the boomers bail you know mm-hmm. when you have the the baby boomers who now decide i am going to retire um you know you lose a tremendous number of skilled trades j- just there and students uh you know we as educators 
um, thought we were doing the right thing by trying to send as many students as we could to that four-year kind of pathway. And the reality is, um, you know, that might not be the right pathway uh, for so many students. And so now there's a, a, an increasing focus on trades, on um, uh, those hands-on kind of uh, vocation-ready, for lack of a better term, yeah. uh, types of paths. And so um, we've focused on that. Um, now, the world is changing. I mean, when you talk about technology, gracious, I mean, every day there's something. Yeah. Uh, so the focus really has to be um, increasingly more towards skills and less on content. You know, we we kind of thought of education for a long time as needing to pass our knowledge on to this you know, this next generation. And so it was all about content. You know, do you know this? Um, do you know that? Well, we live in a, in a, in a world where, you know, just mere facts, knowledge, right? At your fingertips. I mean, YouTube is a remarkable <laughs> educational yeah. tool. And so, um, in this new world, it becomes more about how we're able to use um, that knowledge to solve problems. So things we hear and what we focus on at NEED are things like teamwork. I mean, our students sign contracts. They hire and fire each other when they are working on projects. Um, those teach real-life skills. Very difficult for you know, a 12-year-old student to have to, to fire a friend, but that's, all, that's the way the work, you know, world of work is. And so we, um, we try to, to help them uh, by the time they graduate um, be ready for for that type of environment. So, can you work as a team? Can you can you resolve conflict? Um, can you manage multiple projects? So, um, are you able to present? Uh, are you able to tell use data to tell a story? Yeah. So, those types of real professional and employability skills are absolutely vital now. Um, All right. So, parents listening to the podcast, they have a you know a young man just graduated high school, isn't really sure what he wants to do knows he needs to go to college, or at least feels that he needs to go to college, because obviously that's what, I don't even know the percentage, but it's pretty high of, of kids who get out of high school and go on to college. What would you advise that parent? The child isn't sure yet what to do. What would you what would you kind of say, hey, here, here's here's what I'd recommend maybe for the first, you know, couple of years. I've heard people recommend, you know, a, a local college, like a community college, mm-hmm. and then maybe transfer over. Do you have any advice for that parent or even that student who's listening going, I don't know what to do? Well, I mean, the community college is a great option uh, and maybe even take on one or two or three jobs while uh, you're enrolled. Mm -hmm. You never really know what the world of work is like until you're in it. So, you know, a great um, strategy would be definitely to try to to get some type of hands-on experience. Even if it's just asking a local outfit, you know, maybe you think you might be interested in auto mechanics or, you know, the service industry or, or medicine, um, you know, don't hesitate to knock on doors and say, you know, do you mind if I shadowed or, or could I volunteer in some way just to get a feel for what that environment is really like? Because what you don't want to do is get in a career for 10 years and realize, you know, I, I really, this is not who I am. Um, and it happens all the time. Yeah. I think now what seven career changes, not just yeah. job changes, but career changes before 30. But, um, and many of them are coming out too with a lot of student loans. Oh, and they, <laughs> then, then they don't feel as if they can change because they've got right. to continue with this job to pay the loan, you know, then they kind of get stuck and then they wake up in their thirties or forties going, what did I do? Right. Yeah. That's tough. Really tough. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we focus, you know, so much on those work-based experiences. Right. I mean, really getting out there and getting a feel for what things are like before you ever graduate. Yeah. So you would say that that probably is one. I know there are many, but that is mm-hmm. certainly one uh, quality of the neat school that differentiates them between a public school 
a traditional public school is that hands-on experience, getting them involved, like the teamwork and all mm-hmm. the uh, testing kind of some of their strengths or, or weaknesses maybe in, in their skill sets as students. And you think they're more prepared oh, when they graduate to, to go into the workforce uh, or at least to know where to go in college? Absolutely, yes. Um, between the opportunity to work um, in teams year in, year out, mm-hmm. um, the exposure that they have through either field trips or work-based learning experiences, and the opportunity to enroll in, in college and university courses, um, by the time they graduate from NEAT, they should have a really sound idea of what you know they want to do. Right. Well, that's excellent information. Thank you very much. Before we wrap this up, I do have a couple of personal questions for sure. you, just for people to get to know Andrew a little bit better. Um, what, what would be a perfect day off for you? If you could just you know, describe to me your perfect day that you could just breathe and rest, and what would that be? Is it a beach, mountain, hiking, home, reading? What does it look like for you? Yeah, a little bit of all of that, I yeah. guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy hiking. Um, some recent kind of back issues have set that back. I haven't had a chance to go in a while. But, um, yeah, I love hiking. I love being at the beach, spending time with well, my wife and my children. Um, going out in, in the wood shop and, and uh, you know, building furniture or I'm just kind of peeling so that's around. So that's a hobby that you have? It is. Yep, oh, It's a hobby, yeah. And, you know, with, uh, with uh, the doctoral work, it was kind of on the back burner for about, three years <laughs> so uh now it's almost going back in and, and now what kind of furniture do you build oh anything Idiom? yeah okay. a- anything yeah um you know right now i'm i'm working desperately to build a, a shoe cabinet for my wife so uh yeah i mean you know it's just an opportunity to really um get out of the day-to-day and yeah. do something very different now do you keep do. that furniture just within your family or do you actually make it for other people purchase that oh people no purchase <laughs> okay i wouldn't think anybody would want to purchase it no no okay. i mean it's more uh you know just a, a time to relax and, right. and use some different skills um uh, anyway i just i enjoy it and um, we garden we have tons of tomatoes and and cucumbers so um yeah, I mean, um, just those small things, just trying to take time to, to get a little downtime. Yeah. Uh, well, if you could have dinner with anyone, sit down with them and just enjoy a dinner, maybe ask them questions, learn from them, pick their brain, talk about past or present, uh, who would you choose and why? That's a tough question, Scott. Yeah. Um, yeah um, You know, I don't think there's ever been anyone in history uh, who's had as much impact uh, as Jesus Christ. Hmm. So that would have to be number one. Um, and did he know what impact he would have? Yeah. So. Yeah, that'd be a fascinating conversation. That would be something. Um, so that that would be. That would be the number one person. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that would be number one. Number two, um, not a person but people. I mean, you know, just time to sit down with the family. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. Well, Andrew, thank you for your time today. And uh, I think we've learned a lot about what you're doing and the impact you're having in our in our area. And we certainly wish all the best for the neat school. And we pray that it just, you know, grows and great things happen and continue to happen there. And that the impact you're making will have ripple effects, uh, not just through this area, but through our state, through our region, through our country. So uh, great job in what you're doing there. And we, uh, we, we wish all the best for you. Let me ask you contact information. If someone has 
more questions. They are interested in their maybe their their kid going to the to uh, to NEAT or uh, they're interested in teaching there one day or just want to know more about it. Uh, what's the best way for them to find out? Feel free to contact me at any time. My email address is, is CEO at NortheastAcademy.org. Uh, the school number is 252-562-0653. Uh, we'd love to talk with you. Um, come in, see, see what's going on at, at NEED, and, and engage with some of our students and get a feel for the type of teaching and learning we have. Yeah, we, we'd love to, to see you. Great. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, and uh, we hope everyone will uh, pay attention to all the things that you said. If they have questions, they'll contact you. And again, we wish you all the best. Sure. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Imperfect Leader Podcast. As I mentioned at the beginning, please go by iTunes and give us a five-star rating and share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, I'd love to interact with you. You can reach me by visiting scottneal.me or like my page on Facebook at facebook.com slash scottneal online. I'd love to know what you're thinking and answer any questions you have.